once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely... Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be Wow. One year, almost to the very date, to the very second, from my first candidates preview in 2020. You know, last February on the show here, you can go back and check out, check it out, see all of my predictions, get really deep into the matchups. Last February, a year ago, an entire year has passed since I previewed the candidates tournament. Now, why is that significant? Because I'm going to do it again, because it's the same tournament. Almost. Almost the same tournament. It is the same tournament in that this is the second half of the 2020 candidates that was just announced on February 16th will be officially resuming after a failed resumption last September due to COVID restrictions, due to travel restrictions. The candidates tournament to determine the challenger for Magnus Carlsen, current world champion, Magnus Carlsen will be officially back underway April 19th to April 28th, 2021. Now, I'm going to do some table setting here. I'm going to set the table a bit for those of you who are not too familiar with top-level chess. I'm going to set the table a bit for those of you who don't know what happened last year. Maybe you're new to chess. Maybe you're part of the Queen's Gambit boom from Netflix. Welcome aboard if you are. Uh, Of course... The popularity of that show brought a lot of new players to the game. So we're going to do some table setting. We're going to look at what exactly is happening right now, because it is very interesting and very exciting. I'm I'm excited for this tournament to pick back up. I'm also going to re- recap a little bit some of my predictions from the first time around, because I think they're going to be interesting to look back at, and they're going to be very relevant for what's going on right now. And then we're going to look ahead and preview the second half of the candidates tournament, the 2020 candidates tournament, which is concluding in April of 2021. This has to be just an absolutely historic thing where a tournament was broken apart by literally over a year, over an entire year, will have passed between round seven of the 2020 candidates tournament and round eight. I mean, talk about the rest day of all rest days, right? What an epic break. And and what impact could that have on the players, on the tournament? How could it affect them going forwards? We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to get into it uh, here on the Chess Underground, February 2021. Okay, so let's let's start there. Let's set the table. What is happening? What is going on? So in, in the chess world, to become a world champion, 
you have to, well, this has not always been the case, but most of the time this has been the case in the classical line of world champions dating back to the first ever Wilhelm Steinitz. What you have to do is you have to defeat the current world champion in an official sanctioned match. Now, you can't just walk up to the street and challenge him and say, you know, I'm going to beat you. The way it works is there's a qualification system. You have to go through that qualification system to qualify for what is called the Candidates Tournament. That's what we're talking about today, the Candidates Tournament. You can do that in a number of ways. So the field that is currently playing, um, we have American number one and world number two rated player Fabiano Caruana. He was the world championship runner-up, so he lost to Carlson in the previous world championship match. He gets an automatic spot into the uh, subsequent candidates tournament. So he's in. Top two finishers at the 2019 World Cup. Remember, you know, like everything, all these OTB classical events were put on hold for a year because of COVID. So we're looking all the way back to 2019 for some of our qualifiers. Top two finishers there were Tamor Rajabov. We're going to talk a lot about him. And Dingli Ren. Now, Rajabov was actually replaced in this event a couple days before, I mean, literally a couple days before the 2020 Candidates Tournament was about to start last year. Rajabov withdrew himself from the event because he was worried about COVID and he was worried about the pandemic and playing in a, in a large hall with lots of people around. And lo and behold, I mean, definitely some vindication for Rajabov the tournament was canceled, essentially, at the halfway point, put on hold for a year. You know, the pandemic spiraled out of control. Okay. Top finisher in the 2019 FIDE Grand Swiss Tournament, who doesn't otherwise qualify, that's Wang Hao from China. So two Chinese players in the event, Wang Hao, Ding Liren. Also in the event, top two finishers from the 2019 FIDE Grand Prix. We're going all the way back to 2019, back when the last, you know, classical over-the-board cycle of events occurred. So the top two finishers in the Grand Prix were Alexander Grischuk and Jan Nepomnishi, who is one of our co-leaders at the halfway point. Um, okay, highest average rating from the 2019 year, who doesn't otherwise qualify, that's Anish Giri, Grandmaster Anish Giri, just had a great finish at Tata Steel Masters in January. And then a wild card player, the event is being held in Yekaterinburg, Russia, so the wild card was a Russian player who was chosen, uh, Kirill Alexeyenko. That's the field. That's who's playing. That's how they got there. And we're picking back up after a year. So, you know, FIDE originally had kind of penciled in on the calendar. FIDE is the International Chess Federation, um, FIDE, which stands for Fédération Internationale des Échecs, which is just International Chess Federation in French. They had initially scheduled this event to resume in September. And... Uh, obviously, things were not going well enough with the pandemic at that time. They postponed it again. It may happen. <laughs> you know, we might get to April and they look around and say, okay, this is still pretty bad. We're not going to do it. Who knows? But what we have now is this is official. This is actually happening. We're going to pick the tournament back up. Okay, so what's going on? The standings are quite interesting. The standings are quite interesting right now. Our co-leaders are a point, an entire point ahead of the field. One of them was two points ahead of the field before round seven. That was Jan Nepomnishi. 
He lost his round seven game to Rajabov replacement Maxime Vashielagrav from France. Uh, Vashielagrav defeated Jan Nepomnishi with the white pieces in round seven to draw even with him at four and a half points out of seven. So they're both at plus two, which puts them a point ahead of everybody else in the field. Okay, moving down the list. at In a big tie for, for third place, or another way you could think about it would be a big tie for third through sixth place, we have Fabiano Caruana, American number one, as mentioned, and Ichigiri, Dutch number one, and also... Um, Tied for first in Tata Steel Masters. Lost uh, a playoff to Jordan Van Forest. We'll get to that. Wang Hao, three and a half out of seven. Even score. Alexander Grishuk, three and a half out of seven. Even score. So there's a big middle of the pack there. All with an even score. And then bringing up the real uh, the rear on minus two, Ding Li Ren and Kirill Alexeyenko. Now, if you did listen to last year's show, where I previewed the candidates, you will remember that Ding Li Ren was actually my pick to win this event. He had, out of all the players, you know, and, and I analyzed their scores against the field, which, of course, at the time, the field included Ryabov, not Maxim Vashilagrov. Ding Li Ren had plus six against the field with Ryabov in it. Now, what happened? You know, so he, he, was my, he was my pick to actually win the event he had played well before his previous candidates tournament. I think he had something like uh, all, all draws and one win. He didn't lose a single game. So he was plus one with one win and, a, and 13 draws. Uh, played extremely well. And I thought, you know, okay, he can take the next step forwards. At the time, he was world number three, I believe. Um, had play, come off a couple of solid events. And he was my pick. Now, what happened was a week before, you know, in 2020, the candidates tournament started. And not just a week before, you know, the, the, the weeks leading up to it, Ding Li Ren was caught in China. There were quarantine protocols. He had to go through this. He had to go through that just to get out of the country, get into Russia, quarantine there. And it's hard to believe that did not have an impact on him. I mean, almost certainly it did. Perhaps even more importantly, though, I think what really hurt Ding's event was he he had to play the replacement. He had to play Maxime Vashilagrov with the black pieces. So Vashilagrov was white in round two of the tournament. So round one, he lost his countryman Wang Hao, who, who before that moment, he actually had a, an extreme plus score against Wang Hao. He had a plus four. In classical chess only, I was not looking at rabbit and blitz. Plus four in classical chess. Lost round one to Wang Hao after coming out of quarantine in round two. Lost with black to Maxim Varshilagrov. And there he is. There's his minus two. Right? There's his minus two. Right there. Um, went on to actually have an even score the remaining five rounds. You know, sort of righted the ship in round three with a win against Caruana. And then, and then ended up with... Uh, with two and a half out of seven. So I think he was heavily impacted by that last minute switch of Rajabov to Vashilagrov. Um, but what I want to talk about, you know, when, I, when we're previewing this event, where what I really want to discuss is 
this unprecedented year break and what is it going to do? Because I really believe you know, that, that the primary possible impact of this year delay is that the event now becomes more wide open and just completely a blank slate almost than it would otherwise have been, okay? And I think that's the case for a, a few reasons. So, so let's get into that, you know. What is the potential impact of a year-long break? And the first, the first point that I want to look at is to look at it from players at the bottom of the table who were not playing very well and who did not have a good event at the time. You know, when you're in the middle of a tournament, and especially a round-robin tournament, a very high-level tournament where, you know, it's not a Swiss tournament where if you lose a couple games, you get an easier game, you get a break, you get a breather. Every round, the opponent is very strong, trying to win, trying to gain that point on the field. It's really hard to catch a breath in the middle of the tournament. You know, it's really hard to sort of recalibrate and reset and bring yourself back to the table the next day and, and play a quality game. You know, it's very easy to just feel down and get in a rut and recognize you're not in good form for whatever reason. And, you know, one rest day after round seven is, is just not enough to reset that feeling and to, you know, bring yourself back in the standings. And I think if the tournament had continued along sort of its expected path, let's call it that, and there had been the rest day in between round seven and eight, and then you pick back up with round eight, I think it's very difficult to imagine a scenario where Ding Li Ren would have, you know, been able to put up much of a fight coming back in the standings. You know, he's, he's two whole points behind the lead, sitting on minus two, and not playing particularly well. But after a year off, you know, that's, you're playing a whole different tournament now. You know, this is not, the, the, the sting of the wounds of the defeats are not fresh in your mind anymore. You're not suffering under worries about your form. I mean, you might be for other reasons or other tournaments, but not from this one. You know, you've been able to critically take a look at what went wrong. You've had plenty of time to assess what you could try differently. And a year is a lot different than 24 hours. Not just practically speaking, where you can reevaluate your approach and, and over-prepare for certain opponents, but psychologically, it's just such a big difference. It's hard to imagine a scenario where it doesn't somehow have an impact on the bottom of the field. Maybe just make things a little smoother or easier for them feeling like a reset. Okay, so that's point one, looking at it from the, from the bottom. And I, I, I find it hard to imagine that as compared to a normal event. I think the, the bare minimum I would say is that looking at it from the perspective of the players on the bottom, it, it would probably be a little easier to mount a comeback. I'm not saying they can. I'm not saying they will. All I'm saying is as compared to the expected order of events, theoretically, it should be a little easier. 
Okay, and now, point two. Let's consider the same elements and factors from the top of the field, right? You're playing really well. Vasya Legrov, in particular, has just defeated the player who was running away with the event. Jan Nepomniachtchi was on four and a half out of six. He was on plus three. He was running away with the event, steamrolling every, everything in his path. And round seven, he loses to Vasya Legrov. And um, not a particularly competitive game. Vasilegrov beats him, and he's got all this momentum built up, right? What does he want to do? He wants to keep playing. You know, when you're in a round robin, when you're in a tournament like this, and you're playing extremely well, you have a lead on the field. You have a point lead on everybody except, of course, for your co-leader, who you have just beaten in a head-to-head matchup. You want to go right back into the next day, right? The next round eight can't get there fast enough for you. You want to keep that steam and that momentum going. And now, you know, you, you're forced, you have, you have a year-long break imposed upon you. When you've got all of that lovely momentum and those good feelings and you're in form, it's hard not to believe also that Vasilegrov had the advantage of being a late join to the tournament. You know, he took Rajabov's spot at the 11th hour and the other players were not able to fully or effectively prepare for him, at, at least at least not as much as they would have against the other players in the field and against potentially Rajabov himself. So they were less prepared. So one could certainly consider that uh, an advantage as well. Now you're at the top of the field, and things are going great, and you're having a wonderful time, and boom, tournament's over for now suspended for now and for now becomes a week and a month and then you're thinking september so it's five months and and then it becomes a year and you lose that momentum that you had going in because it's a year it's a long time okay you're you're still plus two you're still a point ahead of everybody else you still feel really good about your tournament situation. But I'm sure if if those players, particularly Vashilagrov, had their druthers, they would have rather the event kept going at that time. So the you know the door is a little more open there too. Psychologically and you know, just the, the approach of the event and the momentum that you build kind of falls off. So uh, looking at it from both ends of the of the event, there's definitely the potential for the tournament to be a little more wide open, I think, than it might have been otherwise. Because of this, you know, sort of fractured nature. And, you know, then the question becomes, well, who... Who benefits most from that, right? Who benefits most from the cutoff and from this year break? And the answer is, look, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. I have a couple of dark horses that, one in particular, who I'm interested in talking about here. And I think one of the things that's going to be really critical to look at 
And what really sets this tournament up nicely, honestly, for um, resuming are the round eight pairings. I think that if the organizers, you know, they, they could not have planned it more perfectly. They could not have picked these pairings in terms of intrigue and excitement and impact on the tournament. They've got really the ideal pristine round eight pairings here. And part of that is because of what has happened during the year off. You know, these players have been playing online in online events. And of course, in January, very recently, we remember, or you may remember, the tournament, the famous tournament held in Vikanze every year, the Tata Steel Masters, where three of these players participated. So we have some more history against each other and some more games against each other. And that is also going to lead to some intrigue, I believe. So in round eight, the pairings, like, the pairings, like I said, just could not line up any better. Let's take each matchup one at a time and, and, and talk about why. So in round eight, the first matchup, you've got even score Fabiano Caruana, the highest rated player in the event, playing one of the co-leaders plus two Maxime Vachelagrave. Now, Fabiano has white in this game. Maxime has black. Why is that important? Because these two players met a month ago, a little over a month ago, in the Tata Steel chess tournament. The, the, the first classical OTB high-level event in a while. They played each other. <clears throat> Vachelagrave in that tournament had a particularly bad tournament. He only scored 5 out of 13 points. He was minus 3. And here's where it gets very interesting. He had 4 losses and only 1 win and then a bunch of draws. Of his 4 losses, so the, the players who participated in Tata Steel, who are also in the Candidates Tournament, we have Anish Giri, who played very well, tied for first, lost an Armageddon to Jordan Van Forest, up-and-coming young Dutch player, crossed 2,700. Okay, so Anish Giri, Fabiano Caruana, and Maxime Vachelagrav. That's it. Those three from the candidates played in the Tata Steel. Now, Vachelagrav against Caruana and against um, Anish Giri lost both games. He lost to both of the other candidates in the field. Both of them. And in fact, his loss against Caruana was a pretty painful one if you were looking at it from the black side. He, it was with black, which is the same pairing he has in round eight, the first round of the resumption. Remember, rounds one through seven were played in 2020. In March of 2020, those already happened. Round eight. Picking back up in April 2021, so essentially the first round of a new tournament. He's got black against Fabiano, who just, I mean, not to put it too uh, bluntly here, but basically just crushed him in Tata Steel. And this is your tournament co-leader, Maxime Vashilagrov. Not the ideal pairing he really wants to see. So, okay, let's talk about this. Round eight, right off the bat, if you have a decisive result there, if Fabiano wins, let's say, Draws even with MVL. Maybe comes within a half point of an opponent. 
all of a sudden, I mean, maybe he's the favorite right away if that, if that happens. Because he's got momentum. He's close to a tie for the lead, if not perhaps tied for the lead, if Nepomniachtchi also loses. And he's taken out, you know, one of his one of his rivals, MVO. At least score-wise, one of his rivals. Flip it around. What if what if Bashir Lagrav wins? He's still in first. He's just knocked out a main rival with the black pieces, no less. He has overcome the, the painful result in Vikanze. It's hard to imagine, you know, that not making him the favorite. If we have a decisive result there, I mean, it's going to have a huge impact. All decisive results do, but here I would say even more so, an exaggerated impact, a very big one. Okay. Second matchup in round eight. This is a fascinating one, too. Here's my dark horse, Wang Hao. He is my dark horse for the second half. Why? Well, in my preview last year, I noted that against the field, if you take out Ding Li Ren, so Ding Li Ren sort of up until that moment had been a nemesis for Wang Hao. He was minus four against Ding Li Ren. But if you take, if you just throw that result against Ding Li Ren out, this is classical time control only, long time control only, classical games. Wang Hao was plus eight against everybody else. Now again, that's before Maxime Vashelegrov replaced Rajabov. But he had a really nice positive score against everybody else. And if you throw out, I've got my notes here, if you throw out his uh, his Rajabov games, it's still plus eight because he was uh, zero to zero with five draws in classical chess against Rajabov. So Wang Hao on an even score gets to resume the event with white against Ding Li Ren, who, by the way, he beat in round one with black. Wang Hao beat Ding Li Ren in round one back in March 2020 with black. So let's imagine a decisive result in this match. Wang Hao wins. Now he's on four and a half. He's on plus one. And has overcome his nemesis twice in the same tournament, who he had a very bad score against prior to this event. Hard not to imagine that really having an impact moving forwards. And my other dark horse, I know this is almost crazy to say because he's so far behind, you know, two full points behind with only seven games to go, but Ding Li Ren is my other dark horse. I mean, he might even be close to mathematically eliminated at this point. I don't know. He might need something crazy like, you know, plus five the rest of the way. I don't know. But I really think this is one of those crazy anything-can-happen tournaments. I mean, certainly it's also possible that the players just want to get it over with and get it done with. But this is for the world championship. This is for the right to challenge the world champion. I can't imagine we're not going to have a huge fight here. And Ding Li Ren wins. He moves to minus one. I don't think it's completely crazy to say that nobody's really out of it given everything that's going on. Okay, next matchup. Here's another fantastic one. Tournament co-leader Jan Nepomniachtchi with White plays Anish Giri. Giri, who is coming off, he's had a couple of nice online events in a row where he, he made it very far, you know, finals, semifinals. 
And he's coming off basically what was a classical Tata Steel win at Vikanze early in January, you know, the first major super tournament post-COVID, if you will, to be held live over the board. He ties for first in the standings. Yes, he goes on to ultimately lose an Armageddon playoff, but he ties for first in the standings, has a great event. He's sitting on an even score in the candidates tournament. He's not too far out of the lead. Let's imagine a decisive result here. Okay, Nepomneshi wins. He moves to five and a half, maintains his lead over the field, knocks off the hot Geary. Geary wins with black. He'll have white the next round. Moves to plus one, even with Nepomneshi, depending on what happens with MVL, potentially tied for first. I mean, what, literally, what a matchup. You could not ask for a better matchup in, in this first round of resumption. And then finally, at the end, we have Kirill Alexango, two Russian players facing each other versus, versus Grishuk, three and a half. Grishuk on an even score, again, with a win, can inch closer to the lead, can build on some momentum, create some momentum for himself. Neither of these players, of course, played in Vike, so we don't have a whole lot of recent history on them. But on the other hand, that affords them more time to prepare and to watch their potential competitors from afar and try to gain some advantage in that regard. They're also both playing, of course, on their home, home turf, home field advantage, right? Two Russian players playing in Yekaterinburg, Russia. That's, that's always nice. So whatever happens, I really believe round eight, a.k.a. round one of the resumption, whatever happens here, I really think it's going to have a big impact on, on how we see the rest of the event play out. Now, you know, you can sort of say, well, duh, Captain Obvious, right? In, any decisive result is going to have a, a big impact. But what I mean by that is it's going to have an, uh, an exaggerated one, more so than it might otherwise, because of the way the matchups lay out in this round eight. Okay. So it's going to be an exciting way to pick back up. And I'm really thrilled to see what happens. But there is this one other thing that we need to talk about in relation to the 2020 slash 2021 candidates tournament. So let's talk about it. Of course, I am speaking of Tamor Rajabov. Rajabov uh, was originally qualified to play. Right before the event kicked off, he withdrew, as we previously mentioned, due to concerns over COVID. The tournament was later canceled due to COVID and postponed for over a year due to COVID. And what do you do with him? You know, it, it, it looks in hindsight like he was very justified in making his decision. He was correct in making his decision. And now a very deserving candidate, even more so perhaps one might argue because of recent events, which we'll talk about, a very deserving candidate is simply out of the tournament through no fault of his own. You know, look, I'm going to be very honest. Organizing chess tournaments and being the, you know, the person who has to make the calls is very tough. It's a difficult thing. So last March, when this all was going down, FIDE was in an almost untenable position. You know, you've got, you've got the sponsors, uh, you've got the, 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 the fans, you've got the contracts that you've signed to get this event going. 
and it's an only an eight-player event, you know, how do you just cancel it in the face of this unknown, you know, this coronavirus that's going around? I think the whole world, you know, in March of last year, the whole world was in a tough spot. Nobody knew what to do, what was going to happen, how bad it was going to be. How should we approach things like this event? So I don't want to harp on FIDE. I think, you know, they were in a tough spot and it's a lot easier to say what they should have done in retrospect, you know, hindsight being 2020 and all that. One of the things that I always think about, you know, as an organizer, as a director, occasionally myself, is I will never forget this tournament I played in, in America's heartland in Iowa. And we were playing upstairs on the second floor of the student union. I believe it was. And there was a tornado warning. Now, the tornado warning was for the county. It turns out that no tornado came within even 15 miles of where we were playing, where we were actually physically playing. But the directors at the time made the decision, hey, we're going to stop play because we're upstairs, we're in a room with a lot of windows, we're exposed, and we're going to march everybody down to the basement and hang out until the tornado warning has passed. So, you know, here we are, we're interrupting our evening round. Everybody's going downstairs, hanging out, pretty much all in a group, as I remember, talking about whatever, pretty much anything that wasn't our games. Why? Because, and, and and more importantly, perhaps, what does this have to do with Rajabov? Because at the end of the day, you know, it's just a game. And safety comes first. Safety goes before finishing your game on time or in time or as you should, you know, in the normal course of affairs were a tornado not to come along. And I think sometimes, you know, we lose sight of some of those things. You know, we're, we're playing a game here at the end of the day. And of course, you know, at, at the candidates level, it's a very serious affair. You know, they're professionals. And different standards are expected of professional players than are, you know, the, the weekend Swiss player in America just like different standards are expected of the organizers and uh, persons in charge of professional tournaments. But safety, you know, it it does matter. And for a player like Rajabov to miss out on the opportunity of participating in the candidates because of COVID is really, I mean, truly a tragedy. You know, that's that's a once in a lifetime opportunity to participate and to have a shot at becoming world champion and going into the annals of chess history. And in Rajabov's case, given his recent results, it's particularly disappointing because (laughs) pretty much ever since the pandemic hit, he's been on fire. And most recently, he had a couple of excellent scores in some online events, a couple of absolutely magnificent scores. First of all, in late December, early January, he played in the Air Things Masters. Okay, there was, uh, like, I believe a qualifying stage, and then and then it went to the knockout stage. 
And listen to this hit list, okay? Listen to this hit list who he took out in the knockout stage. In the knockout stage, he took out Jan Nepomnishi, okay, who's currently leading the candidates tournament, took him out. Then he took out Daniil Dubov, who the round before had knocked out Magnus Carlsen. So Dubov, no slouch, you know, that's the understatement of the year. Very strong player, Daniil Dubov. And then to win the whole thing, he, he knocked out Levon Aronian. One of the one of the best players of of our generation of our era. That was just one event, the Air Things Masters. Okay, and I know it's not classical chess; it's not over the board. But to first of all qualify through the final stage, and then knock out in succession Nepomnishi, Dubov, and Aronian. I mean, that's just really impressive. That's an impressive result. He's in good form to be doing stuff like that. But it doesn't it doesn't just end there. So then, very, very recently, just the past couple weeks, we had um, the Champions Chess Tour, the Meltwater event, I believe it was the sponsor, Meltwater, uh, and Opera, the internet browser, hosted uh, the Meltwater Open. Again, Rajabov qualified for the, the knockout bracket. And here's how he did. First round, he takes out Anish Giri, who just tied for first in, in Tata Steel and is on an even score in the candidates. Definitely one of the players who, who could win the thing. So he, he knocks out Anish Giri in head-to-head play. Loses to Wesley So, who seems to be really well-suited to these online formats. He's just really played well. But then, in the match for third place, Rajabov takes out Maxim Vashilagrov, the other co-leader. So in, his, in these two events, back-to-back, he takes out Jan Nepomnishi in the first stage of the knockouts, who, of course, is a co-leader of the candidates. And he takes out Maxim Vashilagrov in the third in the battle for third place of the Meltwater Opera Champions Chess Tour. This is all to say, the dude is playing really well, and it sure would be fun to have him in the candidates right now. I mean, he's obviously on form. He's playing very well. And... You know, you got to feel for the guy. It really was through no fault of his own that he didn't play. You can't you can't hold concerns and fears about safety against a player who chooses to withdraw because of that. So, what exactly do you do? You have this player who's, you know, pretty much I guess as as on fire as you can be in terms of results, and should. With, with big quotation marks around that word, should be in the event, wants to be in the event, has, has even mentioned the possibility of like some legal challenges. You know, is that going to slow down the start of the event? Are there going to be problems? What is going to happen? Now, I've seen out there a lot of potential um, offers of remedies and suggestions as to what, what you could do with Rajabov to sort of fix this situation. The one that I think is probably most likely to happen and makes the most sense is to give him the wild card spot to the 2022 candidates, the next, you know, basically the next installment, whenever that is, of the candidates tournament to give Rajabov, you know, the automatic bid, basically. Here you go, you're the wild card. And, you know... To me, that does make sense. Now, it's kind of a shame because, you know, who knows 
if he'll have, you know, if he'll be in the same form as he is right now. We don't know what the rest of the field will look like. How will the rest of the field be qualified if we're not playing OTB classical chess, you know? I mean, that that's going to be a mess in and of itself that the organizers will have to deal with. But what do you do? What do you do? How do you handle the situation with Rajabov? That's going to be something that I'm going to watch very closely over the next two months leading up to this event. Because not only do we have the COVID pandemic, which is a wild card in and of itself, not only do we have this unprecedented circumstance where a second half of a round robin is being played after a year break. It's going to be over a year. It's going to be almost 13 months break. But you've also got this guy who was supposed to be in it, who's playing lights out chess, wants to still participate. And what do you do with that? How do you resolve that? How do you make it happen? How do you make it work? Does he not go? He's probably not going to play. I mean, FIDE and, and the organizers are proceeding as if, well, what's, you know, what, what's been done is done. That, that is what it is. But, you know, for chess fans, that's a shame to miss out on potentially, you know, peak Rajabov playing on, on form in an event like this would be very entertaining to watch. So there's a lot of storylines. I, I hope for the listeners out there, I hope I've really painted the picture well for you of not only the storylines that are at play and that you can you can look for and follow and pay attention to, but also kind of giving you some insight and put you into not necessarily the mind of the players, but maybe the mindset of a player who might have had to experience something like this and how that may impact the results. And definitely at the bare minimum, some things to watch for, some things to keep your eye on. This round eight is going to be fascinating. I really think so. I mean, <laughs> you know, of course I say that and now watch, we're going to come away with four draws from round eight. That would not surprise me at all. Maybe that's even the most statistically likely scenario. I don't know. Mathematicians out there can correct me. But I hope I've given you some intrigue, some excitement, because I will tell you as a chess fan, I don't think I've been this excited about seeing what happens in an event in a very long time. And I really look forward to following the 2020 slash 2021 parentheses, question mark, question mark, end parentheses, candidates tournament this year, where we have all of these bizarre, wide open possibilities. And the winner, of course, might be our next world champion if they can get past the roadblock that is Magnus the Machine Carlson, if I can coin that nickname. Uh, Maybe the strongest player ever. Maybe the strongest player at least of the last few decades. Kasparov might have something to say about that. In any case, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you all for listening. This has been a lot of fun to revisit um, this event. I look forward to following it more carefully in April. Next month, come back. We're going to wrap up our season of tournament life. You know, what a fitting, what a fitting, <laughs> what a fitting way to proceed with that season talking about one of the most rare and unique tournaments of all time, what will ultimately go down in history as that, the 2020-21 candidates. Until then, signing off, Pete Karianis for the Chelsea.
Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.7seasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis.